0: Well, friends, let me add my welcome to Sherry's. If we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church. I want to say what's up to all our friends at Westside who are going to experience this message this morning and also to folks online through the magic of the internet who are going to uh, devote some time to God's word and and sharing this message as well. You know, Halloween's right around the corner. Today's kind of a cool Sunday to do this because it looks like Sleepy Hollow outside. Um, and, And... Halloween's coming up and you start to see, you know, some some costumes popping up in stores and, and we're probably seeing some more kind of double horns and pitchforks around than we normally are. And I think this is kind of a cool opportunity to talk about a subject that I don't think gets a lot of attention. Uh, for some folks, they don't celebrate Halloween because they feel like it's demonic, right? Or that it's, it's got some some roots that that aren't worthy of celebration. My take on Halloween is it's a great way to meet your neighbors without being creepy. (laughs) So I love it. And uh, my kids love getting dressed up and so we can't wait to do all of that. But I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life. I've taken classes on, on religion in undergrad. I spent five years studying divinity in seminary. And there was one subject that I I just don't think got a lot of attention. The devil. So in our series, Enemy Origins, it's a (laughs) two-weeker. Not gonna spend eight weeks. Eight-week series on Satan. Uh, We're gonna spend two weeks looking at what do we believe about the devil? About about this sometimes controversial, definitely confusing subject. Let me tell you, I have, I have spent some time researching this, taking a deep dive on Satan, and that is an interesting way to spend your time. The whole process, kind of, it was like sandpaper for me. It kind of left me a little bit raw. Um, and then there was one night I was, I was watching a Sunday night football game, and I, I do that on my, on my laptop. We don't have cable. I'm one of them cord cutters. And if you've ever watched like an NFL game online, you see the same commercial about 27 times. That's usually how that works. And, and this commercial presented itself to me, and I want to share it with you. Check it out. <laughs> What is this? Halo Top ice cream. We just creationed it. What do you think? It's delicious. But 280 calories per pint? 20 grams of protein? Right? Now you can eat a whole pint and feel great. Uh, 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 uh. No! You're supposed to feel ashamed. Stay out of my territory, Featherface. We're going to take these for analysis. Uh. Ice cream, you scream. We all scream down here. Oh, that's very good. Ice cream, you scream. (laughs) All right. So, is Satan a real entity to be feared? Or is Satan like a joke that we used to sell ice cream? You know, when he comes on the screen, my guess is most of us didn't need an introduction. You know, he's red, he's got the horns, scary voice. Oh, we we understand. Oh, that's, that's Satan. All that was missing was a pitchfork. He had hooves. I don't know if you saw that. Where do these images come from? Here's why we're doing this series. Most of the images that we recognize as belonging to Satan do not come from the Bible. They don't. Most of these references are not biblical. Horns have been associated with Satan for a long time, and that's because of a, a loose uh, association with Revelation 13:11. Then I saw another beast that rose out of the Earth. It had two horns, like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. So that's where the devil's horns and maybe even the voice originated. But, but I, I would say that's even a bit of a stretch. The hooves come from mixing images of the devil with other ancient religions. The Greek god Pan was mischievous and had had hooved feet. The pitchfork is borrowed from Hades. I think this is from Clash of the Titans. Hades was the Greek god of the underworld and carried a pitchfork. Medieval depictions of the devil were often read when they would kind of reenact uh, different scenes. Red in, in a lot of times, but especially medieval times, represented fire and passion. And so whoever was playing Satan wore a red costume. So, aside from a glancing verse from Revelation, none of the images that we associate with the devil in that commercial are biblical. I've asked some friends for feedback on, on their perceptions of Satan, and, and I got back some really good responses. Someone or something that turns our focus away from God? The evil within us that gives doubt and leads us away from the path God walks with us? A sneaky character trying to trick me into poor behavior, but it can also be an excuse. Anybody ever hear, the devil made me do it? Then another person said, Satan is real and at work in the world. There is a spiritual battle raging, but we can be reassured of God's ultimate victory. So we have a variety of images that depict Satan. In a variety of ways, we can perceive the concept of Satan. So how do we sort out what's cultural from what's biblical? What if I told you that a lot of what Christians believe about Satan, does it come from the Bible? My vision for this series over the next two weeks is to look at our picture of Satan and treat it like a puzzle and pull it apart and kind of dissect What's soundly biblical? What comes from making connections in the Bible but might be a stretch? And what's purely cultural? So, we want to look at our enemy origins. One of the first things people associate with Satan is right at the front of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, God has created the world perfect, and Adam and Eve uh, have been placed in a garden, the very first people in the center of paradise, the Garden of Eden. But an enemy soon reveals themselves in the form of a wise, crafty serpent. So this is from Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So, spoiler alert, they eat the fruit, and as a result of their disobedience, Adam and Eve, along with the serpent, are doomed to a life of struggle and toil that will end in death. Now, when you examine Genesis 3 on its own, the serpent is just another one of God's created creatures. Now, it's got some pretty amazing attributes, like it can talk, right? And so for the, some of this sermon, we're going to have to just kind of press pause on because we only have so much time. But when you take Genesis 3 on its own, the serpent was, was just another finite created creature, one of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. This is far from the immortal archenemy of God. A lot of our understanding of the second creation story in Genesis that we just read actually comes uh, thousands of years later, the way we understand it. And in the influence of John Milton's epic poem, Paradise Lost. Satan rebels against God and is cast out from heaven, where he eventually takes the form of a serpent. In tempts Adam and Eve. Paradise Lost is a classic work of English literature, uh, but it makes connections and fills in gaps that simply don't reflect what we read in the Old Testament. So, what does the Old Testament actually say about Satan? That's our focus this week. We're going to get into um, the, the, the further evolution or um, the, the, the growth in the idea of the devil next week in the New Testament. But for this week, we're focusing on what does the Old Testament say about Satan? And the first thing we need to do is define some terms. So in Hebrew, this is the word for Satan. And it's one of the few words that's um, transliterated or the pronunciation in Hebrew sounds a lot like English. So in Hebrew, if you want to sound fancy and impress your friends, you know, it's halftime at the Chiefs game, uh, you can tell them that this is, in, in Hebrew, it's pronounced satan. Satan. But since we're in Missouri, we'll just say it like normal Satan. And it means an adversary or opposition. Now, contrary to my, what we might expect, this word on its own does not refer to an eternal prince of demons. In the Old Testament, it's both a verb and a noun to oppose someone or someone who is opposing you, an adversary. It's rarely a proper noun. In other words, the Old Testament's use of satan in Hebrew typically refers to an adversary or an oppositional force in general, but not someone in particular. There are five different passages where satan is used to refer to a human enemy. Once in 1 Samuel, once in 2 Samuel, four different times in 1 Kings, and once in Psalm 106. So these are times in the scripture where Satan isn't used to refer to some celestial being. This is a human adversary, right? Seven total times that word is used in that context. But for our purposes, what we're more interested in are the four different passages where Satan refers to a celestial being, twice in Numbers once in First Chronicles, fourteen times in the book of Job, and three times in Zechariah. So we're going to walk through three of these different stories, or three of the different occurrences. Again, just just we're kind of pressed for time. So in Numbers 22, you have a prophet that's serving another deity, and God sends an angel to obstruct this prophet's journey. This is from Numbers 22. God's anger was kindled because he was going, this is the prophet, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary, as his satan. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So that donkey turned off the road and went into the field and Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck it again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And then later the angel says to this prophet Balaam, I have come out as an adversary because your way is perverse before me. So God sends a Satan, a Satan, to oppose someone in the form of an angel, to literally be an obstacle. This is the first time that the use of Satan is related to a non-human in the Old Testament. And it gives us an excellent understanding of the meaning of the word, right? It was somebody in the way, somebody opposing your path. So next up is Job. And this is easily the highest frequency and most famous use uh, and most vivid description of the use of Satan in the Old Testament. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. All right, a couple things. Notice that Satan is one amongst several heavenly beings. Again, we, we could have a whole sermon just on what's going on here. What, this, this heavenly council is almost like God's boardroom. Okay, it's, it's very, very foreign to a lot of Christians because we don't conceive of God sort of consulting with these other divine beings. Again, I'm not trying to freak you out. It's in the Bible. We just don't have a ton of time to spend on it. So a lot of Bibles capitalize Satan in their translation here. And that leads us to think, oh, that's, that's the devil. That's the guy from the commercial, right? We, we get it. But we have to, be, this is very technical, but it's a little, it's, it's tricky here. Because in Hebrew, the definite article is present. I can see you're all very impressed by me telling you that. But this is, this is an important distinction. The definite article we would, we would think of as the word the. The Satan came to present themselves to God. But the Satan is more of a description of this being's role. It's not referring to this being as a proper noun. And here's, here's what I mean. We do that sometimes too. Like when you go to a restaurant, you sit down, let's say you go to the bathroom real quick and you come back and you'll say, hey, did the waiter come get our drink order? Right, you're referring to that person's function. You're, you're, not, you're not thinking of them as a proper noun called the waiter. Like, if I were started referring to myself as the Adam, right, that'd be very weird. And you should probably go to a different church. <laughs> right, if anything, in Kansas City, I'm the other Adam in Methodism. Okay, we've, we've been over that a little bit. Right, so, so when we understand this in English, we, we wouldn't say, and now it's the Jeremy. No, no. The Satan is referring to this being's role, not as a proper noun. So let's keep going. We doing okay? All right. This is Job 1, 6 12. We continue. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch your hand out against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here Satan is, thus Satan, is trying to test one of God's faithful servants, Job. And he's trying to prove to God that Job only worships God when things are going well for him. The goal of the Satan is to prove that people only worship God because of what's in it for them. This would be an oppositional force for sure. So our final example of Satan this morning has some similarities with Job, but with a few different distinctions. This is from Zechariah 3. Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a brand plucked from the fire? So similarly, the Satan has a role to play in this scripture, to harass, to oppose, to accuse. With Job, God actually gives the Satan permission to harm him. But in Zechariah, this Satan is rebuked by God. So I know I've given you a lot of information and I know we've sped through a a lot of of pretty intense scriptures pretty quickly. Here's what's important. In the Old Testament, it does not describe the origins of Satan or even describe what modern Christians understand Satan to be. What we see in the Old Testament is, is a Satan is an oppositional force. This is a consistent thread that runs through every instance of Satan in the Old Testament. Even that image of the serpent in the garden was was an oppositional force, even though the word Satan was not used at all. But that serpent was acting in opposition to Adam and Eve obeying God. The Bible gives witness to the reality of opposition in our world. That's the common thread for me. I read a study not long ago that said 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency. A lot of us in our culture are living right on the brink of financial ruin. And for a lot of people, money is an oppositional force. A few years ago, my wife and I had switched our children's insurance, I won't bore you with, uh, with all of that, but what we figured out was, as a teacher, she is considered a government employee, and it, when you're a government employee, you can deduct your insurance premium from your taxable income. Well, when we switched our kids over to mine, we lost that feature, and so we were suddenly on the hook for a lot more taxes than we had anticipated. Now this ain't a sermon about money, but I don't think I'm the only person who's had uh, an inopportune tax bill, or maybe your car breaks down at the very worst time, or, or that constant financial stress, you think you're getting ahead on your student loans or paying down some debt, and then something happens and you think, I just can't get ahead. It feels like there is a force opposing you actively. I can't be the only one who's felt that way. I have a friend on staff at a church in St. Louis. They completed recently a major building project, one of the first churches built in St. Louis in ages. And this is what he said to me. Adam, I didn't believe in spiritual warfare before, but I do now. Because when he was trying to do this great thing for God, he encountered so much opposition. Some of us are at our wit's end, you know, wondering why this or that situation, we we just can't win We can't make progress. It feels like something is opposing us. Others have been fighting a disease or a health situation and feel it's just a constant uphill battle. Still others of us appear physically healthy, but we're fighting a struggle, we're fighting opposition internally with our mental health that isn't as readily visible. So how do we overcome opposition? When it feels like we are confronting forces actively working against us, how do we respond? When life hits the fan, friends, what do we do? The good news is we don't have to face opposition alone. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. We can experience the love of Christ made real in community. One of the worst days of my life was my grandma's funeral in 2009. And uh, some of you know this, uh, but I have roots in Northeast Missouri. And I'll never forget when uh, one of my mentors and bosses and uh, one of my other colleagues from my church in St. Louis walked through the door of Doss Funeral Home in Edina, Missouri. I'll never forget that, that they came to be with me on one of my worst days. My family has recently moved here to Kearney. In our first Sunday, we had a big old display out here. Welcome, Musto family. Touched us very much at a time when we were, you know, just trying to see if we'd fit in around here. Not long after that, we had some lovely folks show up to our door with a giant thing of meat from their farm. I thought, this is going to be a good place. (laughs) You know, but but there's been times in my life where the church has showed up in real ways. I'll never forget in my early 20s, My family was going through a crisis and I called my buddy Steve at two in the morning and went over to his house because things were so bad. Through the community of the church, I've experienced hope and I was reminded that I serve a God who is greater than whatever opposition I'm currently experiencing. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Some of us may be in a spot where opposition may not be going away soon, I believe it was Willie Nelson who's saying, it's not something you get over, it's something you get through. We might not be in a place where we're seeing a lot of progress. And so I wanted to tell somebody this morning to keep going. The church is here to give us the courage and the strength and the faith to keep going, to persevere even in the face of opposition. In the New Testament, Jesus promised that after his, he exited, after he returned to the Father, that he would, spend his, he would send his Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that he referred to as the Advocate. Next week, we'll see that this is the key to holding on to hope and overcoming the opposition that comes in so many different forms. Evil doesn't have to have the last word. The opposition doesn't have to overtake us. In Christ, we can find the strength to persevere with the hope that our advocate is stronger than our adversary. And everybody said, amen. "Amen." Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning, for the chance to be together across our different campuses at Westside and at 92. God, I don't need to remind you or to remind us that even in the midst of your presence this morning, we bring in stories and experiences of opposition, some of which are still raging even as we pray to you. And so as as we've learned about these these celestial beings and these, these forces in the world that that oppose us, that oppose your goodwill for us, that, that twist our, our desires to take us away from you. We focus not on the opposition, but on your grace. On the grace and the strength to keep going that can only come from you. So God, whatever opposition we may be encountering, May we leave this place filled with hope that Satan does not have the last word, that you have rescued us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, and that ultimate victory is yours. We ask that you would remind us of that and give us the grace to keep going, to strengthen our faith that we wouldn't lose sight of you no matter what opposition we may encounter. Amen.